podcast i'm sabrina <laughs> and i'm Alyssa, and welcome to episode 3.12 and i love that you tripped up over that that was too fucking funny wow how many episodes has it been and that is the first time i have tripped up i know intro. that's great improvements and that's what we love to see anyway guys <laughs> welcome to the next edition of the wellness series this is our second edition here we're really excited we have a very special guest with us today we're really excited to bring her on the show. Um, she's been a lifelong friend of mine since we were like 14 years old. Um, so everybody, please give a very warm KIT welcome to my friend and our resident dietitian, Nia Eddy. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited, but I'm like nervous at the same time. (laughs) Oh, you're going to be just fine. I promise. I promise. (laughs) Everybody's always nervous. And then it's like one of those things once you start getting into it, it's just like you're talking to us, except we're not in person right now. It's just like we're talking over the phone. You're right. You're right. Nothing to be worried about. Nah, it's all good. It's all casual here. We're just a bunch of ducks. (laughs) (laughs) I have no other word. (laughs) it's what i use like when i don't know what to say like just us chickens here you guys know that phrase just us chickens not at all i've never heard that what i I say this at work all the time i only know that phrase because you say it like i've never heard that phrase before you like sometimes at work when we're like talking internally and it's like just us chickens here like what (laughs) just us chickens (laughs) All right. Well, anyways, for today's topic on the note of chickens, it it doesn't really have that much of a relation. But today's uh, topic is nutrition now and why your diet and your nutrition and your lifestyle is important to start at any given point. Uh, We know that our wellness series has been centered around wellness now. So today we're focusing on your diet and nutrition. Um, I think before we kind of start talking about that, Nia, we definitely want to hear more from you on how you became a dietitian. What made you want to go in that type of field and kind of your journey to get to where you are right now? Um, So I think first we can start with like, what made you want to become a dietitian? Okay. So uh, we're in high school, like freshman year health class. Um, Oh my God. In Herding's classroom. Do you remember that? Yes. With coach hurting, yeah. So yep. he had to watch Super Size Me, and it's like I knew I always loved food because, come on, who doesn't? But I also really loved helping people, and um, that that documentary was the first time that I had seen, you know, the role of a dietitian, and I was like, you know what? That's pretty cool. I think I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. So I love that's that. That's what I knew I wanted to become a dietitian, and um. Yeah, you know, manifested it when I was 14, and here I am. Yes, manifest that shit. Yes, so it was a long, hard road, but I got there. So um, to be a registered dietitian, you have to have um, your four-year degree, your bachelor's degree, and Mm -hmm. a certified um, school in the field of nutrition. Um, and then you have to apply to match for an internship, a dietetic internship. Mm. So it's like about nine to 12 months of unpaid labor. You actually have to pay them 
to work for free. What? It's kind of messed up. What? It was worth it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. (sighs) So um, that took me all the way to the middle of nowhere, Mississippi, uh, which (sighs) was such a great experience. I remember when you Uh, were there. Oh, my God. I don't know how you survived. I could have never been in any, like, non-large city, just in general. So, so many kudos to you. Uh, And and I know you had, like, an amazing time there. you got to make it work. Yeah, that's so true. Making it work is important. That's what it is all about. Um, Yeah. So, I got through that. It was a very interesting experience. And then I sat for my board exam. So um, sometimes you hear the term nutritionist and yeah. dietitian kind of just thrown together yeah. or interchanged, um, but that's actually, you know, not really the case. So basically anybody can call themselves a nutritionist. You can watch a documentary on YouTube wow. and be like, you know what? I'm a nutritionist because the term is not regulated. Interesting. So oh. there is no repercussions for people calling themselves a diet or a nutritionist because, you know, there's just no repercussions because it's not a certifiable term. So, wow, that's um, act- that's like super new information to me because I know people who specialize in in like try and say they're a nutritionist and that's like what they do in their life and not to say they're, you know, not credited with whatever they dedicated their studies to and whatnot, but uh, I definitely am probably guilty of using those terms interchangeably. I'm definitely guilty of using those terms interchangeably. And you know what? That's okay because the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics has made it even more confusing where instead of actually being certified as a registered dietitian and RD, they have made the term registered dietitian nutritionist to be interchangeable with registered dietitian. So just to wow. you know, that's also a thing. Wow, that's actually what? like insane that people would go to that length just to not like lie. It's it, it's almost like, a, I mean, it kind of is a little deceitful to say you're a registered nutritionist because it's like, what are you registered with? Right. So to be, you know, to actually be able to give medical nutrition therapy, which is like, if you have a medical diagnosis and using medicine, you know, food as medicine to help kind of manage your disease, you have to go to a registered dietitian. Yeah, which makes sense. And there's been, and that's a good segue into our next topic here with the the importance of food as medicine. There's been this whole new movement in the medical community and a lot of the health and fitness community that food should be seen as medicine rather than uh, just what you need to eat because your stomach is hungry, right? Like the stuff that we eat is is supposed to nourish us in whatever we do. I mean, I know, Sabrina, you definitely take that very seriously for your job. Yeah, I do. I don't know what you wanted me well, to say. Well, no, that. I mean, I wanted you, like, what are examples that like you do as like food is medicine for your body? Oh, so I mean, so for me, like I focus on the macro since I'm working out, you know, I focus on getting that good quality protein intake, that good quality fat intake as well i know that's funny to say that there's good quality fat but there are good quality fats as there well is as like avocado olive oil mm-hmm. you know things like that the good fatties in there so and like good quality carbohydrates as well. mm-hmm. yeah i know my shit sometimes not all the time though because <laughs> like if, I, if, if i'm working out i can't put like total crap in my body all the time that's like gonna completely just cancel out what i did 
you know exactly exactly so uh i think first let's we'll throw it to you nia what are your uh thoughts with like the whole movement because there's a lot of obviously processed stuff out there um that is not technically the food that our bodies are naturally acclimated to it's because you know what you do put into your body is important now you know saying food is medicine you know of course actual medication for certain diseases food cannot take the place of that right but what food can do is help nourish your body and help decrease your risk for certain diseases certain chronic diseases such as obesity mm-hmm. heart disease diabetes and things like that um so i'm glad that it's kind of getting more recognition um because it's definitely using nutrition as preventative medic- medicine is awesome in the fact that it can help um decrease your risk in the long run of developing those chronic diseases. Yeah, and that's a huge part of it, right? Is is to help us prevent any conditions that are genetic in our family. There's a lot of science behind if you can identify you have a specific cancer gene, you have di- you know, you're have diabetes in your family, you're pre-diabetic. If you have um, other underlying conditions, it can be seen as that really good preventative measure. Absolutely. So I think one of the biggest topics too, with a lot of like going back on like the process ideas of food as medicine, there's, I'd say over the last like three or four years, a huge push for people taking vitamins and supplements um, and, and it's not necessarily being regulated by a doctor. There's been a lot of science behind, and I've seen articles about it. I've had various talks with my doctors about it cause I've been guilty of it where I started taking vitamins and supplements and my body was actually counteracting them. And actually, uh, I was taking something that my body didn't actually need, even though there's all of a sudden this message in social media that's like, Oh, you should be taking, you know, a women's whole vitamin every day. You should be taking, uh, vitamin D, you should be taking fish oil, you should be taking like whatever it may be, right? Without actually consulting a doctor. So what are your thoughts on this whole movement? Because you are an expert in, in a lot of this and have that background. Um, should, you know, first off, one, should this be something pushed out by influencers and celebrities? Um, so everyone is different. Um, I've definitely seen what you're talking about as far as like influencers and celebrities pushing those you know, supplements and all those things. But, you know, if you eat a variety of different foods, you know, you get a lot of vitamins and minerals and things that your body needs to operate. You get a lot of things, you know, if you eat a wide variety of foods. Um, So I definitely think that it should be a discussion between you and your doctor. You know, they can run blood tests to see if you are deficient in any vitamins or any minerals, things like that, and then, you know, consult with them what the best course of action would be, you know, whether it would be to start a supplement or increase your intake of something Mm -hmm. dietary wise. Mm -hmm. Interesting. No, yeah, I'm I'm just, yeah, yeah, I'm finding this so interesting because I was one of those people who did believe that, oh, like I should take a vitamin because I just had this feeling that I wasn't getting enough vitamins from my own diet because I felt like I wasn't eating that much of a variety of foods, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, if you, you like, just for example, vegans, like they cut out a whole food group. And so, of course, they would not be able to get all of the variety of vitamins and minerals that you get from eating just, you know, meat in general and dairy yeah. products. 
So for them, you know, it would be good to go to their doctor and say, you know, these are my dietary restrictions. You know, can we draw some labs, you know, see what's going on in my blood work to see where I'm deficient. And then, you know, usually pure vegan V12 is their supplement that they need that they're not getting from their food. But, you know, there are upper limits to vitamin intakes. You know, it's not, I don't think it's very common that, you know, patients exceed those upper limits if they're healthy and don't have any underlying conditions. But there are upper limits. So it's definitely, yeah. you know, not to say just take everything, you know, definitely go to your doctor, have some labs done and see where, sure. what you actually need and what you can improve on in your diet if you can fix it that way. Yeah. It's, it's just so funny to me that there are companies out there who are trying to monetize off of this that don't have a medical backing from them. Like there's, uh, and I don't want to necessarily call them out, I might bleep out their name just in case, but there's this vitamin company called and it's about personalized vitamins uh, sent to you based on like a quiz that you take yeah it's very bizarre on a and quiz you get a you take a quiz of like what are your dietary restrictions and it it gives you like suggested vitamins to take and then it packages them for you in like these little packages and sends it off to you and it's like wellness as a whole is this like kind of new term to everybody because it's just kind of come out of nowhere right and now you have all these companies shoving it down your throat from a marketing perspective of you need this for your body you need this to be healthy you need this for a long life they're playing on the words that people want to hear of like looking younger clear skin healthy hair healthy nails like those buzzwords almost Mm -hmm. and it's almost really uh deceptive uh yeah i definitely think those companies know what they're doing and they know who they're marketing to and who their target audience is they probably know what insecurities to play on to make people want to buy them yeah and that's that's kind of sick um what do you think about it um to go back (laughs) on you know you use the term upper limits and that kind of took me back to all my health classes in college and i I think it's important to know um you know could you tell tell listeners a little bit about you know water soluble vitamins and then the fat soluble vitamins and like because i uh, i know that fat soluble vitamins like those are various but like those are especially important that you don't take too much of because they mm-hmm. don't pass through your system as quickly as water soluble vitamins right so vitamins a d e and k are your fat soluble vitamins so they're typically you know, they just take a little bit longer for your your body to metabolize. Um, so you don't need generally as much of them. Mm-hmm. Whereas the water-soluble vitamins, your vitamin Bs and everything like that, vitamin C, they kind of just go through you. Interesting. So, so um, they, they almost hit you faster than they would for something that just takes a little bit longer time to process. Right. Your body can metabolize those a little bit quicker. So it's the, their need is not as great. Yeah. And you know, what's funny is like for the ones that you say are fat soluble, those are the ones that people recommend you take larger doses of because they literally say this takes longer for your body to process. So you should just take a big dose of it. And I know this because I've been guilty of it. Like I used to yeah, be one there's... of, go ahead. No, I was just saying there's a lot of information out there. So it's definitely important to know who this information is coming from and if they have credentials to like guide you and make, you know, 
those recommendations for you. Mm -hmm. Because that's one of the biggest problems with the vitamin and supplement industry is that it's not it's not regulated by the FDA, I believe. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, no, it's not. So that's that's what's dangerous when you have people who are just going out and buying vitamins and supplements and they're not sure if they even need them. And you, you can know? even read the ingredients on these bottles, but like the companies don't have to put the truth on them. Right. For a lot of vitamins, they just say, you know, this product is not like regulated by the FDA. They just have to have that little disclaimer and... You know, a lot of the times the claims that they make on the product, you know, on the bottle, they have like asterisks by it. And it usually says like, oh, this hasn't been, you know, 100% verifiable by the FDA or it hasn't been like, you know, there's no big studies that can confirm it. It's just claims. And it's, and it's like people just trust this industry so much without there being the science to back it. Like you're basically seeing a capsule of powder, right? Or or it's a, like a pressed pill in some cases, depending on what the vitamin is. And that to me is what's scary because what if these pressed pills or the powders contain something that shouldn't actually be in your body? That's what uh, makes me nervous is these companies, you know, yes, they have to have the disclaimer. Yes, they have ingredients on the bottle. It's a matter of are what is what's listed on the bottle true. Right. And that's another, you know, another thing of why who this information is coming from is so important. Registered dietitians, you know, we have the ethical responsibility to report science-based data, whereas mm. nutritionists, you know, without any regulation, they can just say whatever. So they can just push whatever, you know, in you know, advertise for these supplements and, and vitamins and they don't really have any pushback because if it's proven to not be science-based, they're not held to a, a standard. They're not mm-hmm. accountable for that because there's no regulation to say anything for someone that's just claiming to be a nutritionist. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Back when I was working, um, I'm going to have to have you bleep this out, but back when I was working at I had to sell uh, this product line, I'm going to have you bleep this out as well, called and all I had to do was take like this really quick little certification, like I barely remember it, and then part of my job and how I would make commission is to sell these supplements and vitamins to clients. And with my background in college, taking the health classes, I like it felt wrong. Like I hated trying to sell that to them because... You know, how how was I supposed to actually know if they really needed that? Because yeah. all I had was this quick little certification that just gave me the title to be able to sell it. Yeah. You know? And it's with all those shake diets where it's like, take your whole thing of greens in this canister and add a protein powder to it as well. And take the vitamins that we're going to give you. Like, it, it's a whole thing of like a fad diet almost to take these different supplements that you actually don't know what you're taking. Right. And I will just say all those teas, I'm not going to name any names now, but those teas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> name it. I'll bleep it. Like, they're laxatives. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Um, so that's another thing that I see a lot of like influencers like promoting and even celebrities are promoting it too. And it's just, it's so misleading. Yeah. And I remember uh, my mom, I love her to death. I've done so many different fad diets with her. 
And there was one in particular my dad decided to read the packaging of because he was like, something doesn't seem right about this tea and this shake. Like, I don't know what I like or don't like about it, but it just rubs me the wrong way because my mom was constantly in the bathroom and she he took the ingredients back to his lab and tested it. And it was basically a glorified laxative. And it's happening like this is a thing. Yeah, and it's. I think it's so sad that people feel like they have to resort to that to fit some kind of, like, body standard that has been kind of idealized on social media. Oh, yeah. I mean, social media, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of good information out there, and it can help a lot of people who are like you start a profile about uh, nutrition from the perspective of a registered dietitian. But then the downside of it, too, you have a lot of people who claim to be a nutritionist but are just promoting different brands because they get a commission from it. There's all of those, you know, uh, pyramid schemes out there. We all know who the companies are. There's an episode from a show on. um, Yeah, there's this um, show that kind of kickstarted our series called Unwell. It's on Netflix, and I recommend everybody to check it out. And they talk about the shake diets and the vitamin and supplement industry and those pyramid scheme companies and how they're just complete schemes and don't actually sell the product that you think you're purchasing and ultimately putting in your body. I've actually never seen Unwell, but I've heard a lot of things about it. So it's definitely on my list of things to watch on Netflix. I'm obsessed with it. I've watched it like two times because every time I watch it, I like... I see a new perspective on it. Like I see a different point of view because they show you kind of the extreme side of things. They show you the very, very moderated side of things and then that middle ground in between. But not to derail too, too much. um, I do kind of want to talk a little bit more about fad diets because we all know them outside of the shake diets. Uh, Things like keto, things like the Atkins diet, things like the South Beach diet. These are diets that are actively advertised now. Um, And I think I want to start first with keto because that's been like the hot topic lately where people are eating a lot of fat in their diet because the whole point of keto is to promote ketosis in the body. Mm -hmm. So as a registered dietitian, what are your thoughts on keto and is it something that is sustainable for a person? So I don't know if you saw this the other day, but I posted this meme on Instagram from another dietitian and it's like when someone tells you they're going keto and there's like a face and she's just rolling her eyes and has the most disgusted look ever. (laughs) But that's basically my thoughts on it. So this is crazy, but like, so the keto diet was actually started by like like doctors basically to um, try to reduce seizures and kids. Um, So that's why it was started. So not a lot of people know that. Um, But as a registered dietitian, I, this is my personal philosophy and this is what I tell patients. Food is meant to nourish your body and your soul. Um, You know, in so many different cultures, food is used as a staple point for like celebrations and, and it's just, you know, it brings people together. So I am not a fan of any diets or anything that kind of restricts your way of eating that brings you unhappiness um, because it's just not sustainable. 
It's really not. So when I hear these like, oh, you know, I'm only eating fat or I'm not eating any carbs, like I just roll my eyes. Like your body needs all of these things to help fuel, you know, Mm -hmm. and give you energy. So it's just, it's sad that people feel the need to reduce and like eliminate food groups when really, you know, if you work with dietitians and, you know, you can find ways that you don't really have to sacrifice everything you love about food. Maybe, you know, if your goal is weight loss, maybe it's just about portion control and listening to your body and its natural hunger cues and things like that to mm-hmm. prevent overeating. And maybe you don't need to cut out complete food groups. So, so, um, so in your professional opinion, would you say that one of the largest struggles people have when it comes to nutrition and diet is the relationship they have with food? I think that's a big part of it. Um, I really do. I know people sometimes eat on emotion. If they're feeling sad, they might gravitate to that's my um, different types of foods or they might overeat, you know, sometimes oh, yeah. if you're feeling yeah. anxious, you may not even be able to stomach any food at all. I'm an emotional um, baker so- and an emotional eater because then I eat what I bake. <laughs> I love that. I've actually been baking a lot during quarantine. <laughs> it's it's something um, to do, you know? It's fun. It's so fun. So, um, yeah, I definitely think you know, people's relationships with food and emotions definitely relate and kind of present itself in how you eat, what you eat, and how much you eat. And working with professionals can definitely help you to find some balance, you know, mm-hmm. find out what triggers you to overeat and things like that. So, you know, you don't feel bad about yourself when you eat. You feel like you're nourished and then yeah. you don't feel overly stuffed or something like that. Yeah. I really, I really like the view that you have on food and what you tell patients about their relationship with food. As a fitness professional, I can't actually give, you know, any type of dietary guidelines. And I always tell people like, Hey, if you want specific guidelines, go see a professional. But I always am sure to tell people like, you know, don't, don't limit yourself. Like don't make yourself miserable. Like food Mm -hmm. isn't meant to make yourself miserable. And I think that's just like an important view to have about food. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I just, you know, when people bring up keto or something that, you know, they're saying, Oh, I can't have that. I love pasta. I love bread, but I can't eat it because I'm doing keto. I think what doesn't make sense to me too with keto is it, they're like, Oh, I'm cutting out carbs, but I'm going to eat this avocado wrapped in bacon. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like about the cholesterol going on. Yeah, like I'm concerned. (laughs) Like I see some of these keto meals, and I'm like, y'all got a lot of salt and a lot of fat put together, and that's a recipe for diabetes. (laughs) I'm thinking high blood pressure. That too, stroke. (laughs) Like that's how my dad ended up having a stroke. Was he was consuming too much fat and too much salt in his diet? Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, I've seen TikToks where someone is cooking ground beef with sticks of butter. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, what? First of all, this is disgusting. Are you even happy eating it? Like, how do you feel after you eat that? Because I I can't imagine that I would feel good after eating that. 
And I can't imagine that it tastes good either. And yeah. there's people adding butter to their coffee. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Like, what is going on? Butter <laughs> to the coffee? I'm concerned. Please talk to my mother because when I was in Florida last, she said she was considering starting keto. And I yelled at her for a straight hour. No. Oh, gosh. Please, no. I'll talk to her. <laughs> yeah, talk to her. I just... you. But another... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying another thing with like keto when they're saying like, oh, you know, I'm not eating carbs. It's like, well, fruit and vegetables do have carbs in them. Yeah. Like your legumes, beans, all of those things are super important for fiber and vitamins Mm -hmm. and minerals in your diet. So how are you just going to cut that out and eat beef and butter all day? (laughs) (laughs) Just going to eat your bees, beef, butter, and bacon. I mean, when triple bees, when I, when I first heard about keto, like I was so off put by it because like, I just know you got to have balance. Mm -hmm. Like I know I'm not like a, you know, dietary professional, but I just know that you have to have balance when it comes to just your body in general. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think one of the other uh, things going on in the nutrition world, other than keto, has been the topic of intermittent fasting. That has been a new trend. I was introduced to it about three years ago in the corporate world because. Uh, When you're working in that office setting, like, well, when we used to be in offices um, and cubicles, I knew people who had like a food drawer at work. They would have snack drawers and like snack all day. And so I got introduced to that from a coworker that was like, oh, this will help you not snack at work. And that's how it first was brought to me. And then it just was getting to the point where I was fasting for 12 hours. Um, So what, what do you know about intermittent fasting? Um, and what is like your professional opinion on that? Um, so, I mean, I know people fast for like religion and things like that. Right. But, you know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, if I go too long without eating, I'm not a happy person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <Yep>. Scott literally <laughs> um, he starts having acid reflux and he's like about to throw up and he's like, oh, time to eat. Like, that's literally what happens if he goes too long without oh eating. God. Like, his body is like, I don't know why you don't have something oh. in me. Uh, you got to eat something or I'm going to throw up. And that's his cue. Right. See, you have to listen to your body's natural cues. I mean, if I go without eating, I get hangry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I can't think. I can't operate. I can't do what I need to do because food is fuel. And that's what my body needs. Um, but on a professional standpoint, um, I don't, you know, I haven't seen too many like long-term studies on the benefits of intermittent fasting to really, you know, say yay or nay or what its benefits are. Mm-hmm. I just personally haven't read up, but I don't, I don't know if there's that many studies to begin with. I know it's kind of yeah, a, I know a newish that, um... concept. So that docu series I to look into that. The docu series I reference Unwell has an episode specifically on this, and the reason I bring it up is because one of the extremes of fasting are apparently there are these fasting camps all around the world where you go and you fast for twenty eight days or forty days, or in some cases there were people fasting for fifty days, and the ultimate reason was a lot of people who wanted to reverse diabetes. It was people who were already diabetic. 
And there are very loose, loose studies that they reference about how intermittent fasting can help reduce, uh, reverse diabetes. And in some cases, a lot of cancer patients were also fasting, but then the danger becomes refeeding, which I know you and I, Nia, have, we've talked about before mm-hmm. when it comes to people who have, uh, children who were in starvation, because that's essentially what these people are doing when they go to these, fasting camps literally they're starving their bodies for days and only drinking water wow um yeah no i haven't really done research on that at all but um but yeah the refeeding system refeeding syndrome that you know you're referencing if you know anyone who's listening doesn't know about it is like you know when you go for a long time without eating and you reintroduce food into your system, it kind of throws off the balance of your electrolytes and can lead to complications, you know, including complications with your heart. Um, and that is something that when I worked at the hospital, we would have to be wary about once starting someone on tube feed that was malnourished. But it's wow. interesting to think that people that are fasting for 28 days straight have to also think about that and they're kind of knowingly putting themselves in that situation. Yep. How are they even functioning properly? Because there's a point when your body doesn't get the sustenance that it just stops. Well, the body can correctly. The body can survive on water alone for 28 days. Okay. So then how are these people who are going for 50 days doing it? I have no idea. Literally no idea. That does not sound fun at all. Nope. (laughs) Nope, 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 I nope. Just, I, I don't see coming out of the other side of that okay. You know what I'm saying? Well, you're just going to gain... If you're if you're in it to lose weight, you're going to gain the weight right back as soon as you start eating again. And if you were reversing an illness like diabetes, for example, you start reintroducing certain food groups, you could ultimately get that again. So it's really just like this counteracting in this never-ending cycle of like fasting, not fasting, fasting, not fasting. And then there's going to be that one time where you fast, like in this extreme case, you know, not like a 12-hour period or or like fast that we see for religious holidays. This is like in the very extreme case for many, many days where when they do the refeeding process, their body rejects it. Yeah, that's, wow. That's, you know, that just shows, shows you the extremes people will go to. It does. Um, it does. To reverse, you know, these illnesses when a little bit of work and prevention goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> that was a fun conversation on fasting as I'm <gasps> sitting here starving. Literally, um, I'm yeah. so hungry. hungry. So <laughs> I can't wait to eat after this episode. We're recording late on a Friday night here and I'm ready for food. Let's move on to, I guess, some fun questions from listeners. Yeah, we have a couple curiosity. questions. Um, I'm curious, how has, you know, becoming a dietitian affected your own eating habits? Um, I think, you know, I grew up and my mom would kind of like, you know, super health freak, like you can only have cereals with less than 13 grams of sugar in it. <laughs> Otherwise, you're eating Cheerios every day, and candy was not really a thing in my house growing up. Um, so, oh, I know that. Your you mom know. ran a strict, tight ship. Right? 
So I say it is something that I am thankful for, though, looking back on it. But I've always been healthy. I like I enjoy a lot of healthy foods. I'm very picky as a dietitian, but the very, you know, few fruits and vegetables I enjoy, I eat a lot of. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like when you tell people you're a dietitian, they automatically think you're like the food police. And I'm like, yo, chill. I don't care what you eat unless you kill <laughs> The me. food what? police. <laughs> you had McDonald's. Woo, 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 woo. Like, what are you going to do? Right? I'm not going to smack it out of your hand. Like, that's just ridiculous. And, you know, when I worked at the, um, I used to work at the hospital, and we had this one lady. God, I did not like her. I know, that's a sad point. She worked for HR, so you think she would know better. But I was eating fries one day. She's like, oh, my God, the dietitian is eating fries. And I'm like, okay. What does yeah, that mean? I am. I enjoy fries from time to time, you know, like mm-hmm. people judge me based off of what I eat. No, I don't eat, you know, fruits and vegetables every day. I'm not a vegetarian. I'm not a vegan. I eat a wide variety of foods with pizza being one of my favorites. Yup. Big time. Um, but it's really in moderation and trying to find that balance that works best for you. Yeah, moderation is key. That's like the name of the game. Yes, moderation. You know, everything is good in moderation. That's why cheat meals are okay. And and like, I think there's also this negative stigma with the word cheat meal because it's a way people try and say like, oh, I can have a day or a meal where I just like pig out completely. And it's like, yeah, you can have that. But like, don't make yourself feel guilty for it. Don't like make it seem like you're cheating on yourself. Eat right. It. When you call it a cheat meal, like you can just build that and incorporate that into your like your meal. Exactly. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a secret. You don't have to cheat. Mm-mm. So tell me, um, I'm curious now because you mentioned that you know you have some of your favorite hold on, you know, hold healthy on. foods. Is this going to be a thing now where you ask a question? Tell me, I'm curious because every time you've asked a question, <laughs> this is so funny. You said it every time, and I just picked up on I'm- it. I'm curious damn all right jesus um, <laughs> it was just funny because it was like every time and i'm like uh is she gonna say it <laughs> what are some of your favorite healthy treats because i feel like a yes. lot of people have a hard time you know finding something that's healthy that they can like you know go for as like a snack like people want to go for the unhealthy snacks mm-hmm. so what what are some of your favorites so i love salads <laughs> I know that might sound weird, but I absolutely love a good spinach salad with a vinaigrette. Like, that is a go-to. And get some protein in there. Like, that is a full meal. I don't need anything else. And also, it has to have cheese in it. But I love fruit as well. Fruit and yogurt are amazing. Pineapple is one of my favorites. Um, And it's really, you know, pretty much guilt-free. There's you don't get that sensation of like, oh my gosh, you know, it's not fatty. You don't feel weighed down by it. It's just something light and sweet yeah. um, that you can have and enjoy. And it's also good for you. It has benefits. I, Whenever I have enough time, and you're going to be like, Alyssa, you've never made this since we've ever lived together. I love a good smoothie bowl. Like if I had the time to make them, I would make them. But I don't. <laughs> but they're so good. And like... <laughs> They have fruit. They have the sweetness I want. You can put chocolate in it. You can put granola in it. You can put like, you can make them out of spinach. So you can get that daily dose of greens. You mean like an acai bowl? Like similar to that? Well, an acai bowl is made out of 
acai. So yes. Okay. <laughs> that's fine. I was just curious because, like, in my head, that's what I'm picturing. Yeah, smoothie bowls are just made out of different fruits. So you can like have an acai bowl, which is made out of acai. You can have a dragon fruit one. Uh, like, and that's just like whatever your base is. That is pretty good. I wish there was a. Is there a place like here that does that? Where? Where is this place? There are many. There are many places that make them in New York. You know what? Leave me alone. It's late. It's a Friday. I know. It is. It is. It is. is. My brain is not functioning. Mine is not either. Okay. (laughs) I worked a fifty-three hour week. I'm over it. Anyways, uh, another question we had from the listeners is: What is one nutritional tip that you wished everybody knew? Just really listen to your body. Like when you eat, think about what's going in, like being mindful. Um, You know, I know I'm guilty of this too, but sometimes I'll eat way too fast. And then, you know, it takes some time for your brain to communicate to the rest of your body that you're full. So when you eat so fast and then your brain finally communicates that you're full and you're like, oh my God, I'm stuff like i cannot move i need to unbutton a button on my pants (laughs) you know and i do this often (laughs) it's not it's not perfect even as a dietitian i'm not perfect so it's like definitely listening to your body listening to your body's hunger cues and and what it's asking for and be kind to yourself like don't beat yourself up about it if if you overeat okay oh yeah (laughs) It's okay. No fix it the next day. That was the key term in the last episode. Yeah. Was be kind to yourself. Hell yeah. I love that. I wow, love that you said perfect that. Perfect segue. <laughs> Look at that. You're welcome. <laughs> well, we have one other question from the listeners that is definitely a hot topic because everybody loves to think they're gluten free. Uh, is gluten really that bad? And uh, should people adopt a gluten-free diet if they don't have a gluten allergy? So (laughs) I know gluten is like a hype, but gluten is just a protein found in wheat. So that's literally all it is. Um, If you don't have celiac disease or any autoimmune disease triggered by gluten or gluten allergy, there's really no good reason to avoid it. Interesting. I mean, I've tasted some of these gluten-free alternatives, and give me some gluten, girl. (laughs) (laughs) Give me me that gluten. Uh, You know, a couple of years ago, I was talking to my cousin. She did a study abroad in London, and she did, like, a little, little trip around Europe. And when she was talking to me, she was like, yeah, like, gluten really isn't a thing over there. Like, it's really, like, a thing here. So do you think it's, like, something that's a byproduct of the additives that get put in our food? Um, You know, it's just really naturally occurring in wheat products. Like, that's it. I mean, I know different countries have a lot of different uh, food regulations, so I'm sure they're adding a lot more in our food than they are over there, but they're not just adding gluten, gluten specifically. So it is like a um, more natural thing, like preservatives and things like that. Gluten is just naturally occurring in wheat. So, okay. um, yeah, that's all it is. I think people say, oh, you know, I'm doing gluten free, but like, you actually know what gluten is. <laughs> yeah. So the, the other question kind of in relation to this, uh, a lot of people try and be gluten free and a lot of people try to not eat GMOs. 
So two part question for you here. One, what the hell is a GMO? And two, <laughs> are are they something we really do need to avoid? So that's like I don't know. That's a very loaded question, if you will. Um, so a GMO is a genetically modified organism. So oh, I feel like be, I knew this. So I'll tell you of one like benefit that it has. So basically, it could just be like a crossbreed of two different plants to make something new. So I just got these kiwi berries from Trader Joe's. I don't think those are naturally occurring in nature. So I'm pretty right. sure that's a genetically modified organism that they just crossbreeded, you know, two different plants to make. Mm-hmm. Um, but in different countries where food is scarce, I know that they add, um, they can add, like, I think it's crossbreeding plants to like make the food be more nutritious. Uh, I've heard them doing that where rice is uh, like a staple point in dishes and really kind of it. Mm-hmm. Um, they can crossbreed different plants to to breed something that's a little bit more nutritious. So, Interesting. You know, it does have its benefits. It's not some big, scary, big guy. Um, but I'm sure there are downsides of it as well. Um, maybe if things are genetically modified, you're not getting... A hundred percent of the mm-hmm. nutrition for not them just naturally occurring in nature because they are changed a little bit and messed with. Mm-hmm. Interesting, because like I know there are some like food places that they brag. They're like, "Oh, no GMOs!" Like, yeah, Chipotle is one of them, for example, where they're like, "We are GMO free or hormone mm-hmm. free or whatever." Uh, but I feel like just saying that right now, I just might have crossed the two terms because i know hormone is not the same thing as a gmo yeah they're a little bit different but i think Um, the concept is the same of like you have to inject a gmo into something you have to inject a hormone into something it's not like a naturally occurring product from the plant right and it's not so you know injecting for plants it's just crossbreeding like Hmm. That sounds kind of weird. I don't like the word breed, but <laughs> uh, I mean that is what it is. You know, it's it happens. We see it when uh, when pollination occurs, right? With like cross pollination, that's essentially what it is when yeah. it comes to plants. Yeah. So yeah. So you know, there's some scientists tinkering, doing something, trying to come up with a different crop or something like that. But sometimes they do it for a good reason and to add more nutrition into plants and especially in places where other sources of nutrition are not readily, you know, they're not readily accessible. And I think it's one of those things too, as long as it's done for the right reasons, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think it's got such a bad reputation because there are cases where GMOs are added for, of course, the non-nutritional value for something to taste a certain way, for something to look a certain way, uh, to just get people to buy a product, right? Going back on like that whole marketing scam with uh, the supplements, this is kind of very similar to that where people are creating something to have a taste a look and a feel and it's not that actual product and i think that's where people are just like scared of it right no definitely well 
Uh, we are almost out of time here, but we do have one final segment for you, non-nutrition based. It's what we do here every episode on keeping it together. Well, almost every episode. We started this segment in season two and we've been continuing it on for season three. This segment is called, How Do You Keep It Together? We asked our guests this segment because our whole show was born in the idea of trying to keep it together through all of the ups and downs that you go through life. Like I used to say to Sabrina all the time before we started like this podcast together, uh, how are you doing this week? I'm keeping it together. I'm doing my best to try and keep it together. And so this was our mantra. And now we found that it's really beneficial to ask people, how do you keep it together? And especially in quarantine. So Nia, we ask you, how do you keep it together? So I keep it together by trying to focus on the positives and, you know, just being grateful for the things that are going well in my life um, to kind of put it in perspective, (laughs) whereas there are some things that are not kept together well in my life and may be falling apart. But if I'm focused on the positive and grateful for the things that are coming to me, then, you know, those things kind of in comparison it kind of softens the blow a little bit is what it sounds like it makes it so you can take that really really uh negative thing in your life and it doesn't sting as much by focusing more on the positive side of things most definitely and that's so important to do you know especially in quarantine just because there's Mm -hmm. so many things going on around us but you just have to be thankful for what you do have and that kind of keeps me going 100% I think that's the only way we're going to make it through the rest of this year is focusing on the positives honestly I've I've literally said as long as I have a roof over my head food in my pantry and a bed to sleep in and water to drink I'm doing pretty fucking well right especially with everything going on you know there's so many things to be thankful for exactly Mm. 100% Well, Nia, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been such a great episode to have you on for. Super informative. Yes, thank you so much. There are a lot of things that I learned in this episode that I needed clarification on. So I really appreciate it. 100%. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. So much fun. You are welcome back anytime. I know we're planning another episode with you soon uh, that we're also really excited for to bring on another great friend uh, that we've been friends with for 12 years now, which is insane to think of. We've been friends for 12 years. It makes me think we're old. (laughs) We've known each other since we were 14. Oh, my God. It just hit me that this is... Oh my God, it just hit me that this is the Nia that you talk about, the Nia and Kadisha. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I literally talk about them all the time because they are my two best friends from home. And Nia is like one of the very few people that I still remain in contact with. Don't worry, Nia. I, I hear good things. I hear good things. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard so much about you, Serena. And Hopefully eventually good. we will make it up. Me and Kadisha will make it up to New York and meet you. Yes, we will do a girl's yes, trip. I can't wait to meet you, girl. Well, thank you again, Nia, for coming on the show. And thanks to everybody for tuning in today. Once again, my name is Alyssa. I'm Sabrina. And thanks for keeping it together with us this week. And we'll see you back next week for episode 3.13. Woo! Keeping it together. I'm sure it's why.